welcome to another installment of the eSolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Cass, a lead developer at Umain, Jackson, also a lead developer at Umain, and Fred, lead developer at Climate Labs. Here we are to discuss the multi-platform and go in a deep dive to see what it's all about. Now, before we get stuck into it, let's do a round of introductions. Jackson, can you kick us off, please? Sure. Well, um, my name is Jackson Mafra. I'm from Brazil and uh, working here in Sweden about a year. I work as an Android developer and my background is mobile developer about 12 years. Okay, fantastic. Fantastic. And then Cass? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm Cass. I also work with Jackson at Humane. Um, I've been doing development in general. I've been doing a whole bunch of stuff over like six, seven years now. But like five years ago, I started working uh, around mobile cross-platform technologies. So I've been doing that a lot. Um, and now in the last year and a half, it's been Kotlin multi-platform. Um, and I hadn't touched much Kotlin or much multi-platform development before that yet. So uh, I came in very fresh there. Yeah, that's uh, that's me. Okay, thank you, Cass. And last but not least, Fred. Hey, thanks a lot, uh, Christopher, for having me. It's awesome to be here. I'm Fred. I'm a GD on Android, also originally from Brazil, like Jackson, um, but I'm currently based in Berlin, being here for five years now. Um, tomorrow, actually, it's exactly when I make five years in Berlin. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> wow. um, I work at <laughs> Climate Labs. Uh, we're behind Klima.com and PlanetWild.com. Um, and yeah, I've been working on Android for a long time. And the last few years, I've been focused heavily on Kotlin multi-platform. Okay, fantastic. So everyone's got a pretty solid developer background. So this should be a really interesting podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now, obviously, we're here to talk about Kotlin multi-platform. I know a lot of people are talking about the moments in time, but the plan with this podcast is to do more of a, a deep dive into it. So look at the general impact of Kotlin multi-platform within the team and the organization structure, as well as the, the issues with iOS developers. So that's definitely going to be an interesting part of this podcast. And then we'll slide into the technical side of things. We're looking at the basics, the pra- the practices for it, the issues and benefits of using Kotlin multi Kotlin multi platform. Now let's get kick started and and go through the, the impacts within the team. Um, who would like to kick us off? Yeah, I can. As you mentioned, from the iOS developer side, it's going to be very interesting because Kotlin multi platform, just like Kotlin, just like Jet by Compose, it's very much uh, an Android world. Uh, and then this whole you know, framework comes from, from the Android side perspective first. Um, so to get existing Android developers on board, a team, get them working together on this stuff, it's, it's really easy. It's basically exactly the same for them. Where, they, where the actual difficulty becomes is trying to convince you know, iOS, Swift, or Objective-C developers to, to you know, adopt this completely different language that they're used to, uh, something that takes them out of their 
normal, very isolated, this is how it's done, iOS style development bubble. Um, so it's quite a bit of effort to make that first step. Uh, actually, on our side, uh, within you main the company, it was a relatively simple transition because we have uh, people who are just very, very into uh, you know UI development only, creating screens and and the visual kind of creative stuff. Um, and when you get to tell them like, hey, like if you want to do just iOS development, the only thing you have to do from now on is the creative UI stuff. Then they are like, oh, awesome. Then not have to worry about it. Um, and it's also because we uh, at Ubain have a dedicated Kotlin multi-platform team. So we didn't need iOS developers to start programming in, 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 in Kotlin directly. Made the transition for us uh, a whole lot easier. But like the, so what does really help in that sense is like to make a team more integrated because we can't not just have an iOS team and an Android team anymore. Uh, we also will we'll need everybody to start working together as like a big multi-platform project. And that's what something I've been working a lot with is transitioning teams into like really the, the multi-platform mindset. Um, so getting iOS developers interested in how this Kotlin multi-platform, which for them is basically just a library that they use, but we also want to get them interested in how it works behind the scenes. Uh, and the ideal goal that we want to work towards eventually is like it is one big team that can both do the mobile development for iOS, for Android, and the Kotlin multi-platform uh, side. And, and we're definitely not there yet. And it's going to take quite a bit more convincing uh, from our developers uh, to get them to do that. But there is some interest. And now that I've been working with it for a year and a half, uh, some people on our team even longer, uh, we started to, to start that transition a little bit. What would you recommend then if someone's listening to this podcast and they are struggling to get developers involved? What would you say are the three areas of advice you would give them? And this goes to everyone on, on this call, by the way. Yeah, it's interesting because on our case, um, our iOS developers were very different and they just telling them that now they just do UI, that wouldn't really work with them. They were really interested on the whole stack and understanding how everything was working under the hood, at least initially. Um, so one thing that really helped, and I think it might be a, a nice suggestion for someone trying to get their iOS team on board, which I fully agree is the biggest challenge out there, um, is to try to find a very explicit way to show the value of what you're getting out of Kotlin multi-platform. Um, so try to find something annoying that the iOS developers will have to build, that the both teams would have to build basically. And then you just implement it yourself or with your team, with your partner, whatever, um, make it sure it's working in Kotlin and then just give it to them as a library and just say, hey, that code that you had to write, it's actually here. You don't have to write it anymore. And only once they actually see it in place and, and working, they can really see the value. It doesn't matter how many times you tell them that it's going to be great until you actually show them working. Um, so I think this definitely makes a difference. And that was what made a difference for us. Once we actually had a, a pretty good example where we were building, that was actually before my time, before I joined the company, we were building the carbon uh, offset, carbon footprint calculator. So there was a lot of very tricky math and, and weird calculations involved. So once we had that and could just consume on the iOS side instead of rewriting everything, it was a game changer. And everyone immediately saw the value and understood that, okay, this actually sounds interesting. And now I'm not willing to maybe, yeah, give it a chance. Yeah. Um, and we can even like go one step more abstract beyond that. 
even like the more general issue is getting native platform developers interested in multi-platform development. And then we're not even talking about Kotlin multi-platform specifically. Uh, and, but what Kotlin multiple multi-platform does help with that is the fact that it's just a native library that they, you know, I use and access as any other Swift uh, or Objective-C library. So that makes that step a lot smaller. And if you tell them like, hey, you're going to be a multi-platform developer now, they get a big shock. But if you tell them like, actually what you're doing is going to stay basically the exact same, besides that we're going to move some of your work away to this other thing that you might be interested in enjoying, that makes the step a little bit smaller and, and, and you know, makes it easier for them to convince those diehards to, you know, at least give it a try. Jackson, do you have any input here? Well, um, I think that uh, what, once... One thing that it's really important uh, in this decision is uh, that the teams need to to understand in Kotlin Mood platform, we will um, take more control about the dependencies and responsibilities and in one single place, we will have um, a lightweight or a light application because we will reduce the, the size. It's something that it's important and it's different from uh, other solutions, other hybrid solutions and um, I think and we reduce the okay we will have some rework and in some case we need to rewrite some classes or some um, some code to work properly from Kotlin to Swift but it's less than you write the application twice when, when you have both projects uh, trying to to say something different from the guy that the guys already said, but basically it's for this, his approach. Okay, fantastic. And I know, Fred, you commented down on, on a little checklist here is when you're looking at iOS developers, get yourself interested in this side and learn Swift. How do you mean by that? Yeah, it's like, I mean, if you manage to convince your iOS developers that all they need to do is UI and they're good, then maybe you don't need that. But I think... If your team is a little bit bigger or some of the iOS peeps really want to be invested in, you know, the, the entire thing, it's one thing to just demand them to familiarize themselves with Kotlin and ask them to learn the thing that for Android developers are already something that, you know, you already have that. You can take that for granted. You don't need any extra effort. Uh, but if you actually get immersed in their world first, um, if you, you know, you learn Swift and you show that. Yeah, it, it's about what Cass said before, that now you're all of a sudden the same team. You're working together on the same thing. So you're learning um, iOS as well. It gives a good example that it's not just them trying having to learn your things. It's it, it goes both ways. And you don't do that just to be nice. You do that because you need it. You actually, it's going to help you along the way to know some Swift so you can actually think about both platforms when you're dealing with any kind of problems. Because all of a sudden now, you're not an Android developer, you're an app developer. And whenever you're doing, you're fixing a bug or you're building a new feature, you don't have to think of both platforms. So knowing whatever is happening on the iOS side is going to be important for you as well. And I think from that perspective, this makes a difference for the iOS developers as well to understand that, yeah, it goes both ways. So it's not just me that is making the extra effort, it's them as well. So I also think this is another thing that you can do to potentially make it a little bit easier for the iOS developers to jump on the Kotlin multi-platform boat. I can definitely agree with that because, as I said, we have our dedicated KMM team and that's Kotlin development. So realistically, if you build that team, 
it's going to be coming from either people who've done Kotlin on Android, Kotlin on the back end or something like that. And then all of a sudden you have a team that is in the eyes of an iOS developer, two thirds Android development. And then all of a sudden, you know, the iOS team is going to have to work with that. And it, it, it works a lot better if you get guys on the multiple multi-platform team that then also know the iOS side so they can integrate with that team better uh, and maybe start making those first changes, those first integrations with them or for them. So it's not just like, okay, now the iOS team has to go fully adapt to what Android is doing because it's calling and stuff like that. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll round off that sort of section there and then go into a bit more detail, looking at the actual client as a whole and looking at the team and, and, and an organization structure. Now we briefly touched on this in the start of discussing the iOS developers acting as one big team. But let's focus on this and look at the compromises of this happening to an organization. Fred, do you want to kick us off here? Yeah, um, this is a super interesting topic. Again, I think has already touched on it a bit. It's just this interesting transition where everyone is so used in the industry to have the Android team, the iOS team, that's it. And now all of a sudden you have a dramatically different structure where, no, it's the, at least at Klima, we called us the app team, um, which worked out for us. Um, but it was not easy to just flip the switch because I was too used to just think about Android. So I was doing something and I was just thinking about Android. And at the end of the day, I think I have everything figured out. But then my team, it was like, yeah, but what about iOS? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> We're an app team now. <laughs> I need to think about the other platform as well. So it was really hard. Um, there is no shortcut. You just have to put the effort to make sure you're not on your comfort zone anymore. You really need to yeah, take the extra step to check the other platform, to run the app on the other platform as well. Make sure you have make sure you have everything ready to run the app on both platforms all the time and not think of running the iOS app as an Android developer or running the Android develop the Android app as an iOS developer as an extra thing. It just becomes part of your work. So this transition is super hard. But once you get there, once you get to the other side, I mean, it's beautiful because it, it it's just amazing when you realize that you're not writing the same thing twice all the time. And it's crazy when you look back and you realize that you just accepted that reality where there was so much duplication, so much like double the room for bugs and issues. And now you don't have that anymore. And if you're doing, for instance, in our case, the UI is too native. So we were still writing the UI twice. You realize that you're so used to not having to write things twice that you get annoyed that for the UI, you have to write it twice. But before it was way worse, right? You had to write everything twice. So it's a tough path. But once you get to the other side, it pays off a lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we also, of course, have an app team. But as I said before, we are not yet in the perfect world where everybody can work on everything. And our internal structure is still, we have an Android sub team, an iOS sub team, and a Kotlin multi-platform sub team at the moment. Um, and for the current project that we're on, that would be an ideal structure of 333, so nine developers in total. Um, and we, of course, we had to make a couple compromises. It's one of the small things that I can mention is, for example, our Kotlin multi-platform team is always trying to be two weeks ahead of the other teams. So we can uh, so we can have the basic structure for the multi-platform part in place. Uh, and then when we go actually create, actually bring it to the native apps, we can then work together with them and integrate it and, and make sure that the solution works on both platforms and this kind of stuff. So we can spend some more dedicated time as a whole team together and make sure that it, it is truly multi-platform and truly you know, works for both. Um, 
but we are not yet at the point where we can say that we have nine Kotlin uh, multi-platform from developers. We're not there yet. I mean, I think it's fair because you still need to have your expert native developers to focus on the UI and on the platform specific things. Um, we, even though we call ourselves an app team and we officially don't have an Android team and an iOS team yet, we still have developers that are focused mostly on their own platforms. And I think it's fine. As long as, you know, what we try to do is at least make sure that everyone has the room to contribute to the Kotlin multi-platform side of things if they want to. But of course, we're not forcing everyone to do that because, yeah. But someday maybe we get into this ideal world where, yeah, it's everyone just the same thing. Everyone can contribute everywhere. Um, and maybe I can learn SwiftUI properly one day. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. The something to share the when we started the, the project and we were onboarding some developers, iOS developer, and everyone said, Oh, Swift and Kotlin, it's pretty similar. You can do the same stuff. And uh, it's not like this. And uh, you, you have the difference and sometimes uh, in Swift you do something that it's totally different and, and Kotlin and uh, there are some stuff some functionalities from the language in, in Kotlin that doesn't work in, in the same way in Swift and okay when you are writing the code okay I need to to change this because it won't work or I will need a library or some some other workaround to make it works uh, in 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 Swift and they need to talk to the, the iOS developer, okay, you need to do this and this and this because from Kotlin to Swift, we have this Objective-C bridge and won't work like you writing the pure Swift uh, code. And sometimes we, we struggle with this, but as we have the, the whole team working and taking these decisions together, it's easier to to pass from this. Yep, absolutely. Okay, okay. Well, let's delve into a bit more on the technical side of things. I'm pretty sure that's what the majority of listeners want to get into involved with. And um, now let's look at the basics. I know one of the one of the top subtopics that came up is ad core uh, mech for newbies. Who wants to take over with this one and, and lead with it? Yeah, the, the extreme basics are really simple. It is just on paper. It is general development in Kotlin in the language. The main driven development, as you would probably do the same for the Android platform. Uh, the difference is, though, first of all, is that that's the main layered logic that you write for Android can be compiled to Objective-C and then used through headers in Swift uh, to allow you to use the same code in uh, on iOS. And then the layer where it goes a little bit deeper is uh, what, what Kotlin Multiplatform does for you. It has a system that allows you to use native libraries for both the Android platform and the iOS platform uh, directly through an, what is called an expect actual system where we can write uh, basically platform side code, still in Kotlin, so not Swift, platform side code for both Android and iOS, which can act as native libraries and that kind of stuff, uh, and then bring it together in the multi-platform uh, environment. So that's that's like the absolute basics of what Kotlin multi-platform does for you. Okay, okay. Anyone else got any input on this? Yeah, I guess that different from other solutions, hybrid solutions, you don't need with Kotlin multi-platform. You don't need to to wait uh, someone update uh, uh, the SDK to use it for you can use the latest resource from the uh, new iOS version or new Android SDK versions. You can use the 
fresh new libraries uh, or any version that you want. And so you just work with the business logic directly. And so it's easier for the developers just to update it. Okay. And then unlike, sorry. unlike we, yeah, to, to mention that, like, unlike other cross platform solutions, this is not a UI framework. You're not building screens. You're not building components with it. You're purely writing the next layer down, all the business logic, all the data access layer, all this kind of stuff yeah, directly in, in Colin. Because of course we also have uh, what's coming out now, which often confuses a lot of people, which is the, the compose multi-platform side, which is, you know, a way to use Chatback compose on iOS. Um, but that's, that's actually a UI framework uh, and this is not related to Kotlin multi-platform. Yeah. They can definitely work on the naming there because uh, even I mess it up sometimes and confuse them sometimes. Yeah, you can definitely work with them together if you want to write a completely costly made iOS app that's possible today thanks to Compose multi-platform. But it's important to see these things as two separate things because, yeah, one doesn't mean the other. They're separate things, can be together, but we're talking about Kotlin multi-platform, which is a very solid, going stable later this year, multi-platform solution while Compose multi-platform just came out. It's an alpha, it's a, an experimental thing. Great for prototyping, not really production ready. Lots of potential, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. It, it, it is interesting to see where, where this has came about. I was on a job interview, uh, when was it? About four months back. And this is when it just the alpha was just first, first released and everyone was talking about it. I was like, hang on a second, you can use this to make an and basically Android technologies to make an iOS app. I was like, it just went over my head. I was like, this is insane. Crazy where it's it, going nowadays. It is insane. I was very surprised when they announced this uh, this year during Kotlin Conf because they are way ahead than I thought they would be when this would be announced. I mean, everyone was kind of expecting it to be announced at some point, but yeah, it's pretty amazing to see that all of the material components work out of the box, that it's kind of ridiculous how they have everything in place already. So still super early, but I'm really excited to see where this is going. Yeah, I mean... This is the whole thing that I'm I'm trying to push to development teams in general. Like when I first saw like us stepping away from multi-platform, which used to be like a web in, web interface or something like that in the mobile platforms, and when I think it was 2017, 2018, when I first saw about frameworks like Flutter, when they were truly bringing native rendering from one code based. Um, yeah, since since that point, I've I've been convinced, and I've, I'm, I'm I think it's totally natural that we see solutions from Jetpack and that. I totally expect somewhere by the end of this year or early next year, you see an announcement for a Swift UI multi-platform or something like that. It's I, I think it's a general trend where the industry is going, uh, and I'm all for it. But I don't really see Apple doing anything to make it easier for other platforms. That's, <laughs> Any that's, that's, yeah. that's true. That's true. That's Apple. We go into the politics. <laughs> that's another story. Yes. Yeah, but they they they, they have to make some kind of move because the the community the, the hyping in the groups and the community is that okay now I can write in Kotlin um, a code that work in iOS Android and web because I can export for for web and I can create a, a multi application that I code the UI once and works in all platforms including web including desktop. And so Apple is getting behind. And so they, they need to 
make their move. It'd be interesting to see what they come out with at the same time. Mm-hmm. It could be like called uh, Swift Multiplatform. Health. Yeah. Yeah. The day Apple releases, yeah. The day Apple releases a multi-platform framework, I'm paying lunch for you for the entire <laughs> year. For <laughs> I, I said it live, right? It's yeah, funny. this is live. This is recorded. Second, uh, yeah. I'll remember this. <laughs> well, to be fair, uh, give you another couple of weeks. They're doing another round releases. I think the iPhone 14, 15 is coming out soon. So. You never know what could happen, mate. Um, right, let's walk into the good and bad practices um, looking at Kotlin multi-platform. Um, let's start with the positives. Um, Who would want to kick us off? Um, we already talked a lot about how you know iOS developers play a big role in the success of adopting something like this. And here it goes again. Um, I think one of the most important good practices is just to make sure that wherever you're building with your on the Kotlin side is looking good on the iOS side. And even though you're just writing Kotlin code, it's nothing different from JVM Kotlin. Um, what iOS developers see on their end can be different depending on how you're writing, what Jackson mentioned earlier, basically. Um, so there's lots of resources out there going into the details of the best things you, you need to keep in mind while when you're writing Kotlin, if your Kotlin code is going to be consumed by iOS. Um, but I just thought it would be worth mentioning some of the most important and relevant things that come to mind. Um, number one is basically you can't work with generic interfaces because there's no Objective-C translation for that. So it's usually better to just stick with abstract classes, which might seem a little bit weird if you're not used to that, but it just makes things easier for iOS and that should be your priority number one. Um, and then the full arguments, something that it, it works brilliantly in Kotlin. Um, doesn't work on Swift uh, on the on the iOS side as well. Even though Swift has default arguments, and you could potentially um, represent them with overloads in Objective C, the way the default arguments work in Kotlin and Swift are dramatically different. So it's best to just forget about it and not work with them on the layers where your Kotlin code is going to be exposed for iOS. Then naming collision is a thing you need to be aware more than usual because there are no packages on iOS, so you can't just have classes with the same name in different packages anymore because this is going to make your class name on iOS have a weird underscore to avoid name collision. Um, you want to make sure you're limiting the visibility of what you were exposing to iOS because in the end, they're basically getting one big Objective-C file with everything that you're exposing on your Kotlin side, including third-party libraries. So you really want to make sure you're putting the effort to only expose what's really necessary to avoid making your iOS developers have to deal with this huge file uh, that is really hard to just yeah go through. Um, and of course, um, coroutines, um, which yeah, it, it works on iOS to some extent. You can make it work very well with some third-party libraries or some wrappers. But because it's not trivial, it's also a good idea to try to avoid exposing coroutines if possible. So. From time to time, yeah, you can't avoid it and it's fine you do with it. But if you can avoid, it's just one less complicated thing for your iOS developers to deal with and for you as well. Um, so yeah, my number one good practice is to make sure you're putting the effort to make your iOS developers' lives easier when they're consuming your Kotlin code. And there are many things to go about it. Yeah, yeah. So indeed, 
a lot of the good practices make sure it works on iOS. And besides that, of course, it's it's generic fault-laden development best practices, which I'm sure we don't have to go into here because that's a very well-established thing on the internet. Um, like some some small specific thing maybe about the actual multi-platform development side is um, we talked about this expect actual implementation, which is a very simple way to give an example is in the multi-platform side, you can expect a variable and on the Android side and iOS side, you can create an actual variable, which is basically the implementation of that variable. But once you scale to a project that gets very big, um, if you're going to start you know, programming systems where you have a little variable, expect here, expect there, it can build up and become very messy and, and a very you know, complicated on the bigger side. So if you start working with a project where you're going to start doing stuff like dependency injection, um, then there are some very interesting uh, techniques you can use um, where basically at a point you can create an interface on the multi-platform side and then implement the interface itself, the implement the interface on the client side. And if you then, you know, you can just have that interface and, and you add it to whatever dependency project, dependency tree you're using, you can inject those platform sites instead. And then when you build your dependency tree, depending on what platform you want, it'll just take whatever implementation from whatever platform you made. So if you bundle your platform side, multi-platform code in classes like that uh, and have them injected into the tree, you don't even have to worry about uh, stuff like expect actual methods and implementations and that kind of stuff. And in general, that makes your code just a lot cleaner, a lot easier to follow because you're not looking at like, for two different implementations or a bunch of different functions that all have their own sub-implementations and this kind of stuff. Uh, and that makes it a lot more scalable. Besides, yeah, besides the iOS points that he mentioned, indeed, it's just, you know, called in basically all the general software mobile development patterns and, and best practices apply. Follow the same style guide, but uh, just adding something that I, I saw a discussion in the uh, Kotlin uh, is like that. Uh, uh, actually, basically, we we are using Coin and we have Kotlin Inject to solve the problem for uh, multi-platform. But there are some people that oh, I I don't like these libraries. I want to write my own dependency injection code. It's okay, but uh, maybe won't work properly. And so try libraries that. Uh, the community is using for your safely and it's well tested. Just addition to cats. yes, absolutely, and that's a general multi-platform development stuff. Like, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, yeah, there are always going to be libraries or things that people have made that are already done exactly what you want to do and usually better. So it's not like you're going to have to write everything that you can't do in multi-platform. Uh, you're not going to have to like rewrite all of that client side yourself. Usually those the things that you want to do fit in the category that has already been sold. And the longer and the more mature a multi-platform framework becomes, the more of this stuff comes out and basically the easier it becomes. And overall, the less platform-dependent multi-platform code you have to write. Uh, and like at the point, like because we don't want to make it sign that you're actually still writing a bunch of iOS and Android code because realistically, 95% of the code that is written in our code base right now is fully shared. There's no Android or iOS-specific side. Okay, okay. So we're obviously talking about a lot about the benefits. That's going a bit more on to the bad side of things. Um, Jackson, do you want to kick us off here? Um, about the bad? Yeah. Uh, let me think. 
this so podcast has implemented more than me, and so well, I'm sure the C and drop, for example, and, and actually the development how it looks like from the iOS side is a, is a big issue, and because of course, like okay, so as we said before, it it of course feels like it comes from the Android side, and, and Android is going to be plug and play in that sense. Um, and 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 what makes what makes what makes it, and then we technically we did mentioned some of the bad practice already by Fred when talking about you can't do anything, everything uh, that you're used to in call, then you, got, you shouldn't do it. It's going to mess stuff up on the end, on the iOS side. Uh, and I think we'll talk a little bit about that more later. Well, no. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. We, can, we can add into the issues and stuff. Now yes. You want, yeah. yeah, so like um, what, what that basically results in is that what we still notice when developing is that we write something and then in the end, we have our iOS guys coming back and like, this is not working as expected or mostly like, this is not how we would do it on the iOS side and this is going to make our life harder. Um, and it's very hard to know beforehand what these issues are going to be uh, because of that gray box that is the compilation to Objective-C. Um, so the, how we deal with that is trying to, you know, that's what we said, KMM is two weeks ahead. And then when we do the implementation, we can come back and see what is working, what is not working. And, uh, and you might have to do like, even like a couple iteration cycles to, uh, to get it to and work because you need to be act proactive in including iOS and in development and you can't just build it for Android and then have iOS integrate the scraps. It, the truth is, even if you follow all of the best practice to make your Kotlin code as iOS friendly as possible, there are just a few things that you can't really work around and you just have to accept. For instance, if you want to expose an enum or sealed classes from Kotlin, you're not going to get what you want on iOS, and there's not an easy way to get what you want unless you use a third-party library, which comes with its own potential issues as well, and it's one more thing you need to maintain. But you, you don't get exhaustiveness when you're going through an enum and iOS if this enum is coming from Kotlin, because the enum just becomes a normal hierarchy. So it doesn't become a proper sweep to none. So that's the pain. Um, and I would say in general, just the iOS tooling as well um, is a pain. Um, there are ways, for instance, if you want to debug Kotlin code on Xcode, surprisingly, that's possible with this um, uh, Xcode. Yeah, exactly, uh, from TouchLab. Um, it's, it's pretty awesome, but still, I personally still, still find it easier to just go to Android Studio somehow. Uh, but if you, or, or add some logs sometimes, because sometimes it just doesn't really work um, as expected, even though you, you still have that option. Uh, but just the tooling in general um, for, you know, just running, um, because you have a multi-platform project on your hand, if you make a Kotlin change and you want to run the iOS project, it will take longer than if it wasn't a multi-platform project. And sometimes, I just have to nuke all of my build caches and everything. Not sure if it's an issue specific to my environment or if it's really something that happens sometimes, but it's very usual that I have to go to Android Studio, clean everything, run a Gradle sync, and then go back to Xcode and then clean everything and then run. And then I can finally see, you know, if whatever I did was the right thing or if I have to change it again. So just the developer experience on the iOS site, even if you follow all of the best practice, is still not ideal. And I'm really hoping that JetBrain is, uh, yeah, is manages to make it better um, in the near future. For us, this is a little bit easier because our 
projects are not bundled together. Like our, our Kotlin multiple from side is truly a standalone hosted package. Uh, so it's, it's like a CocoaPod package and, and, and a Gradle package that are literally hosted. And our apps literally access them as a third-party library that they would use. While you can absolutely do a project where you have the Kotlin multi-platform code and the iOS code in the same project. Uh, and that uh, brings benefits with it. Like, as you mentioned, there's now some options to inspect that Kotlin code in uh, Xcode. Uh, but with the downsides that you're then going to have to do, you know, it's it's not really intended for Xcode or for iOS and this kind of stuff. Um, so we have less of the 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 development struggles in for iOS and Xcode or in in Studio because it's just a basically a compiled library. Uh, but on the other side, we we lose that interaction that the iOS teams can have directly with the, the code. And the the feedback feedback loop increases a bit, right? Because if you want to make a change on the Kotlin multi-platform library, if you want to run that on iOS, how, how do you handle that? Do you have to publish a new version or is there any other way? Um, so we have a script that basically just replaces the local files from the library. So if you just compile it locally, you can just run it. You can replace the package library um, for files and it'll just work. Um, so that, that's how we can test quickly. Um, but yeah, we are releasing multiple versions of the of multi-platform a day basically as well so but that that's really interesting to hear about this script because that's actually how we started in our first app and then in our second app we went all in all in in the Kotlin multi-platform so we just went with the monorepo for both platforms mm. but we never managed to have a super easy way to test things on iOS. We, when we were working this way with the library, that's why we were very happy to move to the monorepo because we increased our feedback loop, loop developer feedback loop with, like by a lot. So I'd be interested in, yeah, if you would be willing to maybe open source this uh, or write a blog post about the script, it would be quite interesting. Yeah, maybe. I mean, for us on our side, the project and the team is just too big to, well, I'm not saying it's impossible, but we always work with separate repos, and it would be very difficult for us to move the entire yep. team and the entire project into one, 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 you know, source code. Even with our, you know, if we're talking about GitHub and our, our CI/CD flows, and all that, it would just complicate stuff too much for us. Um, and since we still have the separate iOS, Android, and multi-platform teams, um, this works best for us, and we, you know, we take the benefits, we take the stuff that hurts us, but it, it works for us. Initially, uh, we started the uh, the multi-platform project with many repos, but um, we we have the issue of Cas um, can explain better later about the umbrella issue and and so the, the diamond uh, dependence issue, and uh, we we need to we we need to put everything in the same repo. And we have different packages, but in the end we compile the same package and the library in the clients just import this huge package in the case of iOS and the Android get the separate files. Yeah. Do we want to get into that now? Maybe is that's uh, one of the major issues that we're having in our specific uh, project. Um, I'd love to hear about it. Scott, we've got time. Yeah. All right. Sure. So, um, so basically, we are in internal project structure. We have a completely feature-based approach. That means that every feature in the app is basically its own complete standalone detached thing. 
And that also scales to the multi-platform side. So our multi-platform project is not actually one multi-platform project, but like, I think we're up to 32 technically separate standalone multi-platform libraries. Um, and in an ideal world, we, they would actually be 32 libraries that we can expose to the clients that they can use. Uh, and we can would be able to technically release individually. But there is a problem with uh, iOS that is called generally the three framework problem. Um, basically the idea that we cannot share any code between two separate uh, iOS libraries. Because say that you have one multi-platform library and a second one, and they both access a third um, library. What would happen for iOS is they would both create a clone uh, of that third party, third library, and they would not be identical. So they would be two completely standalone classes. So, you know, that would break anything like internal state or shared code between it. So what we have to do instead is basically bundle the entire multi-platform project into one library that then gets exposed to the clients. Um, you know, this hurts us on multiple levels because usually we have feature teams, like it's the way we like to work, uh, which makes it harder if we make one change uh, in any small change anywhere in the code base for multi-platform, we would have to update the entire version. So we always need to have a version bump from KMM from, from the clients before they can start working on something so it can interrupt people who are working on completely different things and this kind of stuff. Um, and that's quite annoying and there is no solution for it really. So uh, it's maybe something that can be fixed in the future, but we have talked to JetBrains about this stuff specifically as well and it's nothing we can do about it yet. It always amazes me how, you know, as an Android developer or as a Kotlin Java developer, it, you get this amazing library world where it's so easy to add third-party dependencies without really thinking too much about it. You know, you just add one single line in your build files and you're good to go. Um, and it's so easy. And then you move to the iOS world and it's such a big mess <laughs> and it's way more complicated than you're used to. Um, for sometimes like meaningful reasons and for other times, uh, yeah, surprising reasons, but you get there and then you have, um, you know, you have to choose whether you're going to use CocoaPods or if you're going to use Swift packages, but then depending on the library, you don't have the options to use one or the other. And then you, you, you decide to go with CocoaPods and then you have your, all of the rub installation issues that everyone has from time to time. And it's so weird. And Thanks to you, I just learned this other problem that I wasn't aware about. Uh, that is something that you also don't have to worry about when you're working on a JVM uh, kind of situation where I'm used to and I'm coming from. So yeah, it, it always amazes me how these things that you take for granted can be so complicated in another platform like iOS, which maybe explains why some iOS developers are not as keen to use third-party libraries as we are on the Android world. <laughs> I kind of understand yeah. their side a bit more now after having worked with iOS a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I've actually, myself, if we talk about the model for Eric's, I've worked more with SwiftUI than I've done with Jetpack Compose. Um, and just this is the way, like, if, if you do, the way it works on iOS works very well. And you, but as soon as you try to push the limits or go do something new, like multi-platform is doing, that is when the, the real problems arise. Um, and of course, it's going to be hard to solve as an outsider trying to you know disturb the iOS markets and the iOS development environment. Uh, so these issues are, of course, to be expected. And we, we can deal with them. We are dealing with them because it's not like we dropped multi-platform to first found them. 
Um, it's just something that you have to take into account for when you do these multi-platform projects and especially for iOS. And like we spent two, three months before we actually started our current project, just hammering out these issues and defining them so we wouldn't have them during development. And we would know what to expect when it came to this. And that's just stuff that you have to account for as a team. And when you start planning a new project around it out, and then that's the benefits and the, the drawbacks you have to weigh. Okay, okay. Just focus more then, obviously, we've covered a lot of the, the sort of issues um, around this. Should we look at the more the benefits side of where we can call the multi-platform? Let's get some positivity in here. <laughs> yeah, so like we talked about a bunch of the negatives, and but also like there are some great stuff that we can use that that's already out there that makes your life so much easier. Um, so like I think more than half of the issues that we just mentioned are like either solved if you take the effort by other people or at least workarounds for it that make it functional. So um, we can go into like some of the specific stuff that we use. Um, so there is so like if we go like we can go into very specific libraries like stuff like if you want to use a shared storage environment, there are solutions for that using multi-platform settings or another one. Coin works very well. Um, we we have it set up in a way that we can integrate perfectly with Coin on the Android side, and we have a system that makes it sort of work for iOS as well. And um, all network calls can be easily handled in the multi-platform side. Uh, and then for like even stuff that is very difficult, that makes it hard through Objective-C, uh, there are tools. Uh, or what you can do is we, we use a lot of code generation in our project to basically generate Swift code directly, either as a wrapper for the Objective-C uh, or just directly uh, generate code. And you can do this manually or Swift code can help you with that, which is another library, um, which basically can make a whole bunch of this stuff go away. And once you have it set up in a good way, you don't have to worry about this anymore. Um, specific example that I can give, uh, we talk about coroutines is hard, uh, but we have we use a custom state management solution which uses flows and streams of data, and we have some custom Swift code generation which just converts that flow into an observable object which is published variables, uh, and that is just generated, and the iOS team can use that code directly to us and to them. It's like we're just using coroutines without any issue between us, uh, and it'd be directly working just fine. And so yet again, if you do the setup at the start and you take your time, then most of these issues can be like a small nuisance at best. And in that sense, uh, working with working on platform is great. And you have this, you know, that's the biggest part. You have a shared code base. You, you write so much less code, first of all, um, issues wise, bugs wise, they're so easy to catch. They're so one of our biggest problems in, uh, an older project, which was fully Android and iOS, was that we would have would would be the same app, but we have discrepancies between the two apps, or we have bugs that were specific to Android, bugs specific to iOS, like in core functionality stuff. And that's like we don't even have to worry about that anymore at, at this point because it's all one same code. Um, debugging multi-platform in that sense is easier because if we have an issue on iOS, we just have to check we have the same issue on Android. Yes, it's a multi-platform problem, and we can fix it there. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, we increase, like Cass uh, mentioned, we increase uh, as we had the, the, the same code base and we increase the code coverage and it's easier 
for example, clients doesn't have to um, to make the unit test. The, all the unit tests is done on the boot platform uh, Ripple, and so the code coverage and everything else it's well tested there. On the clients, we just need to to worry about the UI tests and automations. So too much easier for for me as a client developer. And I, I think a, a key benefit of Kotlin multi-platform, especially when you compare with other multi-platform solutions out there, is the optionality that comes with it. You can always take a step back and say, all right, for this feature, never mind, we're building the entire thing native. And it's all right. There's no drawbacks. There's no extra pains you have to go through it. You always have the option to not go with it. It's the main difference between other options, like if you look at Flutter, Xamarin, where, of course, you can do things fully native there as well if you want, but it's not that easy. It's painful. It's annoying. Um, so it's very comfortable knowing that, sure, we're dealing with this multi-platform thing, and there's a lot going on here, a lot of co-generation. But at any point, you can just take a step back and, and move away from it for a specific thing if you want. Um, and this actually also applies to Compose multi-platform which is also going to be the superpower there because you're also going to be able to, maybe the setting screen is not super important. So maybe that one we write and compose multi-platform. So the optionality thing also applies to cutting, uh, to compose multi-platform as well. Um, yeah. To, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. And we can even take this to the extreme. Like what if, I mean, we, we don't do optionality. We, on our side, we have decided from the start, we're going to definitely, if we're going to do multi-platform, we're going to go all in. Um, but like even what happens if it ever not works out? What if JetBrains drops the whole support for the thing tomorrow? We still have native Kotlin code. Uh, we can we can drop it right now, drop it into the Android project right now, and it will work just fine. And converting it, converting that code to functional Swift code is a lot less of a hassle than it would be to convert an entire Flutter app, Xamarin app, to native Swift. So th there's also an easier way out if that would ever be. A problem. I don't expect it to be, and it would be uh, devastating to see. But um, yeah, it is possible. Okay. Okay. And Charles, do you want to finish off there? We can. Yeah. Oh, do you, we've got a little bit more time. We can always go into testing. It's up to you, chaps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Testing is something that I want to bring up. Luke Jackson mentioned it just a bit. Um, so, as I said, we go all in on the multi-platform. Is trying. We do try to do physically as much as physically possible on the multi-platform side. So we even have our view model and our state handling on multi-platform side. And our plan is, idea is that it's just the client's apps are only dumb apps that render what we tell them to render. And that's it. Um, and the way we have it set up is, as I said, we work with a single per feature. We work with a single data flow stream of data. And, and we have a custom... Uh, state management solutions for that revolver that we open sourced recently um, that allows us to basically test the entire state flow as well in multi-platform without ever having to spin up a mobile app or do tests in there. So that allows us to basically test 80 old and non-visual functionality app we can test directly in multi-platform. And that is such an incredible productivity boost because we can catch almost all the bugs, all the big bugs, big functionality issues before we even start on the on the mobile side, and that's also why we enforce at least eighty percent test coverage over our entire code base. 
Um, it just, you know, at that point, it's like all the functionality is already in place before we even start making screens. And if we, you know, have the communication right with the clients, it's just basically of hook up the components and the screens that they made to the state management and it'll just work. Uh, and not having to spend so much time debugging or testing on the, both the platforms. Uh, we, we, of course, have a QA team which still does that. But it, it's just such an incredibly productivity boost for the entire team. It's cool that you mentioned that your, your Kotlin multi-platform code is going up to the presentation layer because that's something that we also started in our second app uh, when we started our mono repo. And honestly, to me, this was the biggest challenge because right now, if you want to share database, you just use SQL Delight and that's a solved problem. If you want to share your API calls, use Ktor, solved problem. If you want to share, you know, uh, share preferences, you already mentioned multi-platform uh, preferences. Everything below the, the view layer is so easy right now, but if you want to share your presenters, your view models, your navigation logic, that's where things get a little bit tricky because even though you can find a few libraries here and there doing this, they're very opinionated. There's no solution that everyone agrees with right now in the industry. So that's where every company I feel is doing their own thing. We are doing our own thing as well. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's always interesting for me to see another company doing the same because I'm always curious to hear about the details. So I'll probably ping you later. <laughs> um, yeah. and maybe we can go into the details. But I, I, I like the perspective of looking at the, from the test perspective as well. Like, yeah, if you manage to do that, that means you're done. You can basically test all of your Kotlin code and already be super happy with it. And maybe just have a few happy path a UI tests for the native side of things. Um, or not even that, depending on, on your app. Um, that's, yeah, it's a superpower. Yeah, so I, I should add to that, that, like, the way it roughly works for us is that the clients emit events to a single thing and they react to state that we emit. And basically what that does is we can emit, we can predefine all the possible events and all the possible states that result from it. So we can build this finite state machine where for every input, we know every possible output. And once we have that on the Kotlin multi-platform side, we can test that. And that's that's basically the big biggest part of the logic that needs testing, and which makes it just so efficient and so, so great. Cool, really cool. Okay, well, chaps, we'll leave it there. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'll take this opportunity to thank, thank you, Jackson, Fred, Cash. Really appreciate yourselves providing your insights on this quite a valuable topic. And it's going to be interesting to see where Kotlin Multiplatform goes over the next year or so and see where it ends up. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much.